Anytime you're at a social gathering and there's people there that you don't know, there's an inevitable question that always comes up. And that question is simply this. So, what do you do for a living? How many of you ever been in a situation like that before? There's people you didn't know, you're starting to get to know them a little bit. That's the question that just naturally comes up. So, what do you do for a living? Notice nobody ever asks you, what's your purpose in life? I mean, that'd be a better question, right? Because really, that's what's most important is, why in the world are you here on this earth? Why does God have you here? What is your purpose in life? But nobody ever asks that. They always ask the question, so what do you do for a living? Now, some people, they're very, very proud to share that I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an astronaut, I'm you know, a CEO of a major company. But then there's a lot of people that they get asked the question and they're like, oh man, here we go. Because they're, they're sort of like a little bit embarrassed by what it is that they do. They feel like maybe what they do doesn't quite stack up to what everybody else is doing. In fact, I, I heard a story about a lady. Her husband was a very successful businessman and he was always at these like very snobby-ish type of parties. And so she had to sort of tag along and she was a stay-at-home mom and she was sort of embarrassed by that. I don't know why you'd be embarrassed by being a stay-at-home mom. It's a very important job. It's a very hard job to do. But anyway, she was always at these parties, and she knew that when people would ask this, they were very condescending. Because if you hadn't gone to like an elite school and gotten some sort of advanced degree of some sort, or if you didn't have a white collar, very high paying job, they sort of looked down on you for doing that. And so she said, you know what, the next time I went to a party, I decided I was going to have a different answer than what I normally did. And they're going to put it on the screen. Here was her answer for you. She said this. She was asking, you know, well, what do you do for a living? She says, I am socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the, type, or into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. So, exactly what do you do for a living? <laughs> So that's sort of, sort of funny. But in all seriousness, when you get asked that question of well, what do you do for a living, are you excited to share what you do for a living because it meets your passion, it meets your purpose? Or are you going, you know what, to be honest, man, I, I'm just sort of punching the clock. I'm just sort of like the old song, everybody's working for the weekend. That's the only reason that I'm even working is because I'm just waiting for the weekend to come around because that's the only time that I really feel fully alive. So what is it for you? Now, if you're like most Americans, in fact, 82% of Americans, they say that they do not like what they do for a living. Oh, sure, it's paying the bills and everything, but they don't actually enjoy what it is that they do. And that sounds like a real problem if you ask me. And so that's why today, as we continue our series here in the book of Proverbs, I want to talk to you about how do you make sure that what you're doing for a living in, in your work is something that you're actually passionate about. It's not a, a burden to you. Well, I'm going to say this right from the beginning. We need to change a little bit of our attitudes. We need to change some of our thinking so that, again, it becomes a joy and not a burden. So let's jump right into it in Proverbs chapter 14. Verse 23, Solomon writes this, he says, In hard work there is always something gained, but idle talk leads only to poverty. Chapter 14 here, Solomon is doing one of the things he does throughout the book of Proverbs, and that is he's contrasting those who are wise with those who are foolish. And basically he's saying, look, wise people know that even in a situation where maybe you don't like your job, 
you know that you should still work really, really hard because there's always a reward that comes from hard work. In fact, what does he actually say here? He says there's always something to be gained. So that's what the wise person does with their job. You know what the fool does? The fool complains. The fool complains about their boss. They complain about their wages. They complain about their coworkers. They complain about the hours that they're getting or not getting or the hours that they're being scheduled for. Fools talk about getting a different job, a job that's going to match their, their passion and their purpose. But then what does the fool do? They never actually do anything about it. They never go back to school to get their degree. They never put in the application for their dream job. Instead, they just keep talking and keep complaining, doing the very bare minimum work so as not to be fired, but yet they're still expecting that their boss is going to give them raises and give them better hours. Solomon says it here, idle talk leads only to poverty. So this is where we, we need a real attitude change. Let's continue on then. Let's Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Paul says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for who? As though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Paul's saying, look, forget about your human boss for a second. It's not about your human boss. You've got to keep in mind that no matter what your job is, who you're really working for is Jesus himself. He is the one that you're working for. You do your job as if though you're working for Jesus. Now here's another attitude change that we need to have. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul writes, we are God's masterpiece created by Christ Jesus to do what? To do? To do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And so Paul's being very, very clear here that you and I were created by God to work. Which brings us to the big idea for today, if you're taking notes. It's simply this. The purpose of my work is to show that God is at work. I say that again. Let that really, really sink in for you for a second. The purpose of my work is to show that God is at work. You think the purpose of your work is to provide you food, to provide a, a, a roof over your head, to provide you transportation, to provide you entertainment. That your work does all those things, and that's fine that it does those things, but the purpose of your work is to show that God is at work. And so that's what I want to talk to you about here this morning. I want to unpack three thoughts when it comes to that phrase, that the purpose of my work is to show that God is at work. So if you're taking notes, number one, I must realize that my work is a calling from God, not a curse. You know, a lot of people think that the the, the, the curse because of sin has to do with, with work, but what people are doing there is they're actually taking a verse out of Genesis completely out of context. In fact, they're actually just not reading it correctly at all. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And then God said to Adam, you listened to your wife and ate the fruit which I told you not to eat. Because of what you have done, the ground under you will become a curse, and you will have to work hard all of your life to make it produce enough food for you. So again, people read that and they think that work is a punishment for God for sin, but that's not what it said. That's not what this verse said. Let's actually go back. Let's look at a little bit of context here. Work is not a curse. How do we know that? Well, we just got to go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What is God doing when he's creating? He is doing what? He's working. God is a worker. 
And so God's creating the heavens, he creates the earth, he creates the sun, the moon, the stars, plants, animals, humans. He's creating all these things. And you know what God does at the end of each workday? He goes, that was a good hard day's work. I'm pretty proud of what I did. This is good. God was pleased with his creation. So he works really, really hard for six days. He's pleased with everything. And then you know what God says? Seventh day, it's going to be a rest day. Work hard for six and then take a seventh day, and that's going to be a day of rest. And so when God created Adam and Eve, he created Adam and Eve. He created you and I in his image. We are made in the image of God. So if God is a hard worker, guess what we were created to do? Work. You and I were created to work. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve are doing. They're there in the Garden of Eden. They're not just sitting around, lounging, getting suntans. No, they're working. They're working the garden. And they would work six days. And on the seventh day, they would rest. It was a Sabbath day, a day to honor God, to worship God, to spend time with God and with one another. And then they would work six more days. And on the seventh day, they would rest. This was the pattern that they continued to follow. Work six days. The seventh day was a day of rest. Now, here's what we need to understand. Their work was a joy. It wasn't a burden. And their work was easy. But then they sinned. They sinned against God. But notice that God didn't say, you are now under a curse. He said, no, the ground in which you've been working is now under a curse. See, a lot of people think that God, like when they sin, he was like shaking an angry finger at him going, okay, the, the punishment for your sin is now you have to work. They were already working. He said, now your work is going to become difficult. It's going to be hard for you to do your work. So they were called by God to do work, and you have been called by God to do work. It's a calling, not a curse. You're going, Gilbert, that's easy for you to say because what you do is sacred. Gilbert, I work a secular job in a factory. I'm a a sales clerk. I'm an office worker. Gilbert, you do something that God called you to do, but man, mine often feels like a curse. Mine is exactly what it's called. My work is work. But let me remind you of something. Jesus lived for 33 years. For the first 12 years of his life, he was a kid and he did kid things. But then at the age of 12, he started to work for his father as a carpenter. Now, it wasn't until Jesus turned 30 years old that he began his public ministry. And then it was at the age of 33 that he was crucified, dead, buried, rose again from the dead, then ultimately ascended back to heaven. Now, in case you haven't been doing the math with me here, That means that Jesus had 21 years of his life that he was working, only three of which was ministry types of things that you would think of. What it means is that for 18 years, he worked as a carpenter. Most of his time on the earth, he was working a quote-unquote secular job. What I'm trying to get you to see is that there is no such thing as a sacred job or a secular job. It's all sacred. Whatever God has called you to do, that is the work that he has called you to do. And you are to work as unto him. You're working for him, not for man. 
And I don't care what your job is. I don't care how long of the season that you have that job. Maybe you only have it for three months or you have it for three years or 30 years. I don't care how long it is. You have been called by God for that season to that job in order to show that God is at work. Remember, the purpose of your work is to show that God is at work. You're going, okay, God, I hear you on that. But I really wish that I enjoyed my work a little bit more than what I do. And that's fair. That'd be fair to say that. Sometimes you get a really crappy job, right? But you're still going to do it as unto Jesus. But in the meantime, you're still going to work hard whatever you're doing. But as I said earlier, it's okay to try to find something that meets your passion and meets your purpose. You're going, Gilbert, yeah, but where would I even start with something like that? Well, first of all, are you taking the next steps that I talked about earlier to put yourself in a position? Are you getting the continuing education that you need? Are you filling out the applications and the resumes? Are you constantly listening to things and reading things, bettering yourself so that you can become somebody that an employer would want to hire? You're going to go, I don't even know where to start with all this. Well, I believe there's four questions you can ask yourself that would be very, very helpful to finding sort of your dream job and and what it is that God would want for you to do. And it's going to be sort of a a visual illustration for you here. Um, When we ask these four questions, they're all going to come together in sort of a a Venn diagram. Now, the the Japanese culture has this phrase that's called a kigai. And what a kigai basically means is uh, what your passion and what your purpose in your work is to be. And so they're going to put it on the screen here for you right now. Here's the four questions that you need to ask yourself. The first question is this, what do I love to do? So what is it that you love to do? The second question is, what am I good at? Just because you love something doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be good at it, right? Or just because you're good at something doesn't necessarily mean you love it. So what do you love to do? What are you good at? The, the next question you got to ask yourself is, what does the world need? And then the final question is, What can I get paid for? So those are the four questions that you ask yourself. And then you start to combine them together. So what you love to do and are good at, that's your passion. What you love to do and the world needs, that's your mission. What you're good at and you can get paid for, that's a profession. And what the world needs and what you can get uh, paid for, uh, that's a, a vocation. And so the key guy then is when you bring all those four things together, your passion, your mission, your profession, and your vocation. When you find those things, that is that a key guy. That is what you should be doing with your life. You see, ultimately the goal isn't to work for a paycheck. The goal is we want to work for a purpose. When you find your purpose in life and you start to live a, we'll call it a purpose-driven life, I mean, that sounds like sort of catchy, right? I should write a book called The Purpose Driven Life. It could be a bestseller or something. I mean, all right, you guys know I'm kidding, right? My former boss already wrote that book, and it was the second best-selling book of all time, The Purpose Driven Life. That's what it was all about. How do we live this purpose-driven life? How do we find this guy for ourselves? When you start to actually do that, when you find that purpose, God is going to provide for you in ways that you can't even imagine. You see, oftentimes you get stuck in a job because it just, it's paying well. And you're like, I, I've, I've got to keep there. I can't actually go after my passion and purpose because it would pay a lot less. But listen to me again. When you find what God has called you to do, 
when you get to that purpose-driven type of life, God will provide for you. He's going to do it every single time. And how do I know that? Well, that's my story. That's Lisa's story. You know, when God called me to be a pastor, and I've I've shared some of this with you before, but we went from a six-figure year income that now God says, no, your purpose for being here on this planet is to be a pastor. It went from six figures a year down to $22,000 was my first church that I pastored at. But yet God provided. I don't know how all the time God provided, but God provided. And then as the the years sort of went on, my income started to, to increase. And then God in late 2009 said, I want you to pack up, move to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and start a brand new church there. And I knew that we were being called. I knew it was part of our purpose was to come here and start a church. You know what I did? I trusted God. Because I knew starting a new church, it was going to be hard, it was going to be difficult. So I voluntarily, this wasn't somebody told me I had to do it. This was Gilbert making the decision. I made the decision I was going to take a 32% pay decrease. Because that's how much I believed in getting this church started. I just voluntarily said, 32% less. And really, it's only been because of the denomination over these past 14 years has urged me that look, you need to pay yourself a little bit more than I've even had any pay increases. In fact, the plan that they have me on right now, next year in 2025, which will be the 15th year of Exponential, I'll actually get back to where I was in 2009. So I I don't want to hear these things about, man, I didn't get a pay increase this year. Man, (laughs) When, when God has you where you want to be, Man, he's going to provide for you. And and that's what's happened for Lisa and I. He has provided in ways we couldn't even, I don't know how it all has happened, but God just keeps providing for us over and over and over again. We need to trust him. In fact, Lisa's in Florida uh, right now suffering for Jesus in like the 60, 70, 80 degree weather, right? Uh, Anyway, poor girl. Uh, But anyway, she on Friday night, we were uh, doing a, a video call together. She was telling me about something that had just happened that day. There was like this incredible opportunity that's opened up for it. Now, don't worry, we're not moving to Florida, right? So it wasn't that, that type of opportunity. But it was, it was this incredible opportunity, and they would have like huge financial implications potentially for us as well. And I'm just sitting there hearing her tell this story going, only God could do something like this. I mean, literally, it was like arranging for people to be from California to Florida and like Facebook messages that hadn't been answered for months that suddenly get answered and like everybody's able to meet together and like where they're meeting at, the girl that she met with happens to be like at this Christian conference. She didn't even know that this girl was a Christian. And what's this Christian conference about? It's about Christian authors. Well, what did Lisa just do? She just wrote a book. And like this girl's like, hey, I want to interview you and have you on my podcast with 17,000 people that show up every time that this podcast comes around. Only God can do things like that to arrange, because this girl lives in California and Lisa lives in Pennsylvania, and they just happen to be in, in Florida at the same time. Happen to be in Florida at the same time. It's amazing what God will do when you trust him for everything, and that's what we just sang about here a couple moments ago. 
God, I will trust you because you are a firm foundation. You don't have to put your hope in a job. You don't have to put your hope in things. He is your firm foundation. Trust him. Realize that your work is not a curse. It's a calling from God. No matter what your job is, if you'll continue to be faithful, God will continue to be faithful, and he's going to provide for you no matter what. Number two, my work is a witness to others. We already read Paul's words there in Ephesians or Colossians chapter 3 when he said that we're to work unto the Lord. We don't work for people. We work for Jesus. He is our real boss. And a part of the reason that we need to always understand that is people are watching us. People at work are watching us. I mean, you may be talking a big game about Jesus. You may be talking a big game about your faith, but people are watching. What they want to know is, is this Jesus thing real or not? Have you actually been transformed, or is what you're talking about just a bunch of hot air? You see, if the people at your work see that you're cutting corners, talking bad about the boss, talking bad about others, coming in late, leaving early, just barely doing the minimums to get by so you don't get fired... You know what they're going to think? That person is exactly like me. The only difference is they waste an hour of their week every weekend going to a church. Think about that. Is that the only difference between you and some of your coworkers is that you occasionally show up to a church service? Or are you actually modeling for them something that's different? Do they see Jesus in you or not? You see, they want to know whether Christianity is real and whether Jesus is real. But that's only going to happen if you're being different. So I'm going to read a couple of verses to you here. These are famous verses. You've heard these before. But this time as I read it, I want you to think of it and filter it through you at your work. Would your coworkers, would your boss say these things about you? So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or actually Galatians chapter 5. Verses 22 and 23. Paul writes, The fruit of the Spirit of God working in your life produces love. Would your boss, would your co-workers say that you're the most loving person they've ever met? He goes on, he says, joy. Would your bosses and co-workers, would they say, Wow, this person is so full of joy. It doesn't matter what circumstances are going on in life. It doesn't matter what's happening here at the office. They are always so full of joy. Would they say that about you or not? How about this one, peace? Are you peaceful at the office? Are you peaceful at the factory? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those nine characteristics there, would your coworkers, would your boss see these things in you? And would they say that these things are being demonstrated in your life? If not, you're not being a good witness. And what that tells you is that you're working for a paycheck and not for Jesus. And so we've got to be very, very careful because our work is to be a witness to other people. Number three then. My work is a reflection of my identity. Listen to me. What you do for a living is not your identity. It's not who you are. It's just how you make a living. It's how you pay the bills. 
during COVID, one of my favorite YouTubers, as we were trying to like, how do we do this whole online thing and, and more and more video stuff, one of my uh, favorite YouTube guys that I came across, uh, I'm not even sure if he's a believer or not, but he just posted a video this week. He said, you know what, after 14 years of doing these YouTube videos, he said, I'm going to have to back away a little bit because he said, you know what, it's become my identity. And, and like the success of how many views my YouTube videos are getting, that depends on how happy I am and how I treat my wife and how I treat my kids. He said, it can't be my identity any longer. He said, I'm still going to make videos, but now I'm going to make videos that I want to make, not videos that are just simply going to pay the bills. Videos that I'm, I'm passionate about. For those of you that are here and never been like at our baptism, you know that like stand that I have that like has all the cameras and the lights and everything on it? That, that guy is the, the, where I got that idea from how, how to, to do that. He is a creator by nature. He loves to create things. And so what he did is he took this part and that part and this part and that part. And he's like, man, if I put this on here and do that. And so he like put a video out about how do you do that? And I was like, that's cool. We need that. <laughs> and so I made one. But you know what he's been doing the last couple of years? A lot of product reviews, right? Because sponsors go, look, you like review my product. I'll pay you money to do it. And he's like, I am just burnt out on it. I'm not a YouTuber. That's not who Caleb is. I am not a YouTuber. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a citizen. And we, we've got to be very careful with the same thing. You are not your job. You're not, you know, what you do for a living. Who you are as a follower of Jesus. You're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. That's who you are. And you're called to be a witness for him. Your identity is found in Jesus. And so thus, your work needs to be a reflection of him. And I'll say this as well. Your fulfillment comes from no one else but Jesus. I love my job. I love what I get to do here with you all. But even then, this can't be my fulfillment. Like what I do up on this stage or what we're able to do in the community around the world, that can't be where my fulfillment comes from. My fulfillment comes directly from Jesus and Jesus alone. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Really, this verse is the why behind the what. Why do we do what we do? Well, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Whether you're serving someone for free or you're getting paid for the job, we should do all of our work because the love of Jesus compels us to do it. It's the love of Christ that compels us to stay late to get the job done. It's the love of Christ that compels us to do everything that we do with excellence. It's the love of Christ that compels us to do menial tasks at work, even if it's not a part of our job description. It's the love of Christ that compels us to work hard, whether it's our first day on the job, whether it's the day of our retirement party, or any day that's in between. It's the love of Christ that compels us to be a witness for Jesus no matter what our coworkers or what the world may think about us demonstrating our faith to them. One year ago in, in January, like many of you, I was on a Monday night watching Monday Night Football. 
And even if you aren't an NFL fan or you didn't like, or you just don't even like football, you've probably heard this particular story. Because there on Monday Night Football, it was late in the game, uh, Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin, he made what looked like a routine tackle, but then he stayed down on the ground. And it appeared at first just to be an injury like any other injury. And so ESPN and their commentators, they cut to a commercial break, and usually what happens is when you come back from the commercial break, they've gotten the player off the field, and then the game continues on. But this time when they came back from the commercial break, there was obviously something way way different. You could hear it in the tone of the announcer's voices, and you could see in sort of the the far shot that they had of the field that an ambulance was now on the field and that there was a curtain sort of around the place where you last saw Damar Hamlin lying. And then they would cut away, and in the players' faces, you could see just this look of shock and and scared. Some players were even crying. And even in the stadium, which there's normally just even a a low rumble, a buzz that you hear sort of in the background, it was eerily silent. Turns out what had happened is right there on the field, he had gone into cardiac arrest. And the paramedics and the EMTs right there on the field, they're they're trying to resuscitate him because he had flatlined. He was he was dying. And for the next 45 minutes, ESPN stayed in the the coverage of what was going on. There was speculation, is the game going to restart? Is it not going to restart? And and throughout that whole time, they're talking, the announcers are talking, and then after 45 minutes, the NFL decided to suspend the game, and they were like, maybe we'll play it again at some point, maybe we won't, but anyway, they suspend the game, and then they cut to regular ESPN coverage, and so some of the talking heads, the studio people, they're talking about the situation, and they're interviewing other announcers, they're interviewing players, they're interviewing coaches, and over and over and over again, almost every single person said, you know what, we need to be praying for Damar Hamlin. They were not ashamed to say, we need to be praying for Damar Hamlin, but yet, No one did. No one actually prayed, at least they were on the air. The next morning on ESPN's coverage, one of the announcers, Stan Orzowski, he was uh, sort of talking about this, and he's a former player. He's now a studio host, but he he had a little bit of commentary about this, this whole thing that had happened the night before. So take a look at this clip. I heard, I've heard it all day, like thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say that we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want to, it's just on my heart that I want to pray for it is. Damar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. All right, now for copyright issues, that's about as long as we we're able to, to share something. But he went on after that, and he prayed a very bold, powerful prayer for DeMar Hamlin right there on ESPN, right in front of millions and millions and millions and millions of people. Praying is not a part of his job description. And when he prayed that prayer, he didn't know if he was going to get in trouble for doing it. He didn't know if he was going to get fired for doing it. But yet he did it anyway. Why? Because his identity is in Jesus. And the purpose of our work is to show that God is at work. All sure, he talks about football all the time. But ultimately, he wants Jesus to shine through. And that's exactly what happened in those two minutes that he prayed. 
Oh, that we would all be so as bold to go to our work and not be afraid of any consequences. That the purpose of my work is to show that God is at work. And even if they get mad, even if I get fired, God is still going to provide. The purpose of our work is to show that God is at work. Now, if you don't know Damar Hamlin, prayer worked. Suddenly, everybody's praying for this young man. And the doctors at first said he, he didn't have a, a chance of living or he was going to be brain dead for the rest of his life. But within a couple days, he came out of a coma. Within a week, he was released from the hospital. And just a couple months ago, he was back playing in the NFL. And tonight, he'll play in another NFL playoff game. The purpose of our work is to show that God is at work. I don't want to know what your job is right now, but do it for Jesus. Do it for Jesus with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do it for him. Let other people see him through you. Trust him. Again, know that he will provide. So let's try to find our passion. Let's try to find our purpose. That's when joy comes from our occupation. But even if you never find that, know that our work is for him. And that ultimately, we all want to stand before him and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this uh, day. We thank you for more wisdom that comes from the book of Proverbs that contrasts the wise and the fool. So, Lord, I just pray that all of us would be wise in not only the, the work that we have, but in even how we work. That we wouldn't be a fool and complaining about our boss and our coworkers and, and the tasks that we have to do. Of, That's not a part of my job description. Or the hours that we're getting, all the things that so many people often complain about. Jesus, help us to right now have that attitude change and realize we are working for you and not for men. And that ultimately, you're the one that's going to reward us both in this life and in the life to come. And that's what Solomon wrote about, that the wise understand that there's always reward. There's always something to be gained for the hard work that we do. And so let that be true of us. And that people would see in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That fruit of the Spirit, let that be so evident that people go, wow, they, they have something different. There's something different about them. I need that. Lord, help us to be reminded that the purpose of our work is to show that you are at work. And help us to be bold in our faith. Help us to be bold, witnesses for you, to not be ashamed like Dan was in that video. That, you know what? I just feel compelled to do something. 
And the reason he felt compelled was because the love of Christ compels us. Let that be what compels us from now on. Not a paycheck, not a job description, but the love of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, again, that you have just so demonstrated that in the life of, of Lisa and I, that you've provided for us as we've stepped out of the boat and been faithful to you. And I pray that others would do that same thing in faith, go where it is that you would have them to go, trusting that you're going to provide. And that, Lord, in that, they would have joy in their job and that work wouldn't be a burden, it wouldn't be seen as a curse. No, it'd be seen as a blessing, a blessing not just for themselves, but a blessing to the entire world as well. Again, thank you, Jesus, for who you are, all that you're doing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.